Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. And while you're turning there, I was supposed to have Cody read more verses, uh, but I put the wrong thing in our spreadsheet. Um, We were going to look at all of Exodus 34. I'm kind of glad we didn't because that means I have more time to preach now because we didn't read that whole chapter. Um, But I do want us to, to, to remember the rest of that story. When Moses came down the mountain, like I just told the kids, when Moses came down the mountain, he had to cover his face with a veil. And, and, and sometimes we, we think, and, and there's, a, there's a teaching out there that, that says that he did that because he didn't want people to see that the glory was fading, uh, like, like he was kind of embarrassed by that. That's not what was happening. It was, it was a sign of, of mercy and justice all rolled up into one because the people couldn't bear the glory of God without dying. And I, I want us to have that story in mind because that's the story that Paul builds this doctrine on that we're going to look at this morning. It, that story is in the background of, of these verses in 2 Corinthians. He, he kind of leans into that story to explain the difference between the law and the gospel. So with that in mind, let's read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore... 
having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Most gracious Father, as we look now to your word, I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, that we might see clearly the glory of Jesus Christ, and gazing upon it, that even this morning we might be transformed from one glory to another. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, this is a long passage, and there is a lot of just absolutely incredible theology wrapped up in this passage. But, but we're going to deal with this whole long passage today because I want us to get what it is that Paul is saying. I want us to get this, this kind of kernel of what it is that he's saying. And, and I'm going to do my best to not trace out uh, every possible glorious statement that could be. So you'll be able, hopefully, uh, to keep your lunch plans. Um, but, but, but it's just absolutely incredible. See, because what Paul is doing here is he's continuing to defend his ministry against these super apostles. But he's doing so not by appealing to himself or or how, quote-unquote, effective his ministry is, but by appealing to how much better the new covenant, the Spirit, and Jesus are in comparison to the old covenant and the law and Moses. He makes this distinction because it it seems from the letter that that he's writing that we're dealing with here that the super apostles were doing the exact opposite. They, They were commending themselves based on all of these outward things of how great they were, how effective their ministry was, how successful they were, all of those kinds of things. And it seemed that part of their ministry at some level that in Corinth, that there was something similar going on to what was happening in Galatia. That is, that they were coming back with the law of God. And they were leading people in what Paul blatantly and boldly calls a ministry of condemnation. And so Paul is writing, his purpose here is to defend his ministry as an apostle. But as he makes this defense, we see this incredible statement about the difference between the law and the gospel. We see an incredible statement that really kind of defines why we're called Christ Church Conway and not like Ten Commandments Church Conway. It's not just that that would be a clunky name but it would completely misdefine what it is that we're to be about, which is Jesus Christ. As ministers of the new covenant, as a minister of the new covenant, that's who I'm to proclaim to you week after week. So in the first six verses, Paul is kind of uh, giving this statement 
that, that his confidence isn't in himself. Apparently what was happening was these super apostles were coming with letters of recommendation talking about how awesome they were and, and all the things that they've done and, and how great they were and their ministry accomplishments and why you should listen to them and all of that kind of stuff. Kind of the stuff that you would print on the back of a book jacket if, if you were to write a book. He went to school here and he's ministered here and he's done all this stuff. That's what they were showing up with. Look how awesome we are. And Paul didn't have any of that. And so he, he, he's being written off because his letter of recommendation was things like, well, I, was, I, I received the 40 lashes minus one. Uh, that happened a few times. I was left for dead by the side of the road. Um, I was shipwrecked. That happened. I, I've been run out of multiple towns for preaching the gospel. I mean, it's just not all. You'd be like, okay, yeah, maybe that's not the guy we want. But he's saying, but I've got a, a completely different recommendation. You, you've heard what I've said. You found life in my words. I I don't need to commend myself with letters to you explaining who I am and and why I'm important because I've actually come to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you've repented and been forgiven and stand justified before God. And and then he makes this move, and this is why we think that, that, that what was going on in Corinth was similar to what was going on in Galatia. At the end, uh, uh, in verse 3, he says, you, you, you showed that you were a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink. So he's contrasting the letter that he brings, which is the Corinthians, and the letters that the super apostles bring, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So he contrasts written with ink, Spirit of the living God, and then he gives an explanation of that, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so he, he begins to cast even his commendation of himself in these new covenant terms. Remember in Jeremiah 31, the, the, the law would be written on our hearts, that, that God was going to circumcise our hearts, that the Spirit was going to do something new in his people. And so Paul sets them up as these people coming with, with tablets of stone, the law, but he's coming with, with something written on the heart, the gospel. And then in, in verses 4, 5, and 6, he, say, he reminds them that, see, our confidence, unlike the super apostles, our confidence isn't in us. It's not that we're sufficient for this ministry that he's given. It's that he's made us sufficient. It's something that he's done, not something we've done. Our, our confidence isn't in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but in God, who made us sufficient And then listen to how he describes himself, to be ministers of a new covenant. And then again, he gives some qualifying statements, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Again, he's casting this in these new covenant terms from Jeremiah 31, from Ezekiel, from Isaiah, from all these places that we see this this promise of a new covenant. Paul's casting it in those terms. And he gives his qualifying statement, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And there he sets up this bold contrast between the letter, which here he means the law of God, the Ten Commandments, that law written on stone, and the Spirit. The letter, he says, kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's not an insignificant distinction between these two realities. And what's interesting is, is when you read the commentaries... Every one of them that I've read is like, oh, this is such a difficult passage. It's so hard. And, and there's a couple like kind of weird things in the Greek. 
But it's not actually, like, it's not that difficult of a passage, really. Here's what I think is difficult about it. We don't like it. It flies in the face of what we're used to hearing. And it's, it, it flies in the face of what we're used to in an incredibly bold way. And, and that's the summary right there. The letter kills. It does not give life. It cannot give life. The law can't do that. It only kills. But the Spirit gives life. See, I think what the difficulty is with this passage for us, really, if we're honest, is not what it is. I mean, Paul's pretty clear. I think what the difficulty is, is we really want the law to give life. And Paul pulls no punches and says it doesn't. It doesn't. So, so that's the introduction to, to how he's, he's commending himself or, or defending his, his confidence that we have, or his ministry, that he, we have no confidence in us. All of our confidence is in Jesus Christ and the ministry which he has called us to. Then in verses 7 through 11, there, there are three sets of contrasts that are if this, then this. And, and, and all three of the contrasts are basically this. If the old covenant, the law, Moses was this glorious... Then the new covenant, the spirit, Jesus, is this glorious, right? So he's not denying that there's no glory in the law. He's not denying that at all. He's just saying it's not as awesome as the gospel. It's not as awesome as Jesus. So, so the first one, now, if the ministry of death, I mean, I, w- I was listening to, to a podcast this week that was going through this passage, and, and, and one of the... the the podcaster said, if we were to just, if I were to just say this stuff about the law, with like, if I were to say this, I would be in so much trouble. If I were to talk about the law and just say, look, the law is a ministry of death. I mean, it, not that anybody's really listening, but all the blogs would be full. Can you believe he said this? He doesn't preach the glory of God. You know, like, it would just be like, But this is what Paul says. The ministry of death, all right? That's how he's going to talk about the law. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, remember, what did God do? He carved the law in stone, right? So, I mean, he's making clear what he's talking about. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't even gaze at Moses' face because of the glory. Right? So he's not denying that the law is a revelation of the glory of God. He's not denying that. He's just helping us understand that it was a revelation of the glory of God for a particular purpose. And that purpose so happens to be death and condemnation. The ministry of death, carbon letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze on Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. The glory of the law, Paul tells us, was being brought to an end. It's not Moses, it's not the, 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 the glory of Moses' face. Like when you go back, if, if, if I'd remember to type the right verses and we had read all of Exodus 34, you would see that it never talks about the glory of Moses fading in that chapter. Never mentions that. That's something that we've kind of imported back into it because we would rather Moses be embarrassed that his glory be fading than own up to the fact that the law can't save us. 
We don't like to admit that, but that's the reality. It was the glory of this ministry, the glory of this ministry of death, this old covenant. That's what was being brought to an end. And so if, if that, that was being brought to an end, that, that had this, this kind of perfect or, or purposeful like time, it's, it's, here's one way to think about the law. It's like your iPhone, right? It's planned obsolescence, right? They, they, they issue it for a while knowing that in like three years, they're going to make that thing not work at all anymore and you're going to have to get something new. That's kind of how the law is. It's issued for a time, for a purpose, to do a particular job. But you're going to have to come up with something new. Because the glory of it is being brought to an end. So if that's the case, verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So here he contrasts law and Spirit. Interesting, that's what he says in Romans 8. There's no condemnation for, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free. Is that not more glorious? Something that gives life. Is that not more glorious than something that brings only death? The second if, verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, notice again, I mean, he's just relentless in how he's talking about the law. It's a ministry of death. Now it's a ministry of condemnation. Still glorious, still a revelation of the glory of God, still a a picture of his perfect moral character, of the perfect standard by which we're called to live. But what he's wanting us to see in calling it a ministry of condemnation is that the law can't bring about in us what it requires of us. All the law can do is condemn. And it does so gloriously. It's it's glorious, he says. If there was glory in this ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness, think about that. Think about this contrast that he's setting up. Because if if we were to kind of poll the audience, hey, what's the way to righteousness? I mean, we would start talking about rules. We would start talking about law. Paul starts talking about gospel to answer that question. Calling the law a ministry of condemnation, but but the gospel, what the Spirit does in us, that's the ministry of righteousness. Will not the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory? Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. I get so frustrated at this point in my ministry. And, and, and I used to kind of be of this thinking. I, I used to be of this like, oh, the law, is, it's, the, it's the revelation of the glory of God. If you really want to see who God is and, and see him in his holiness and, and in his majesty, you look at the law and, and all that it demands. No, Paul says. No. The ministry of righteousness, the gospel surpasses the law in glory. Why? Because it fulfills the law and offers something the law can't. It fulfills the law and offers life. That's why we're Christ Church Conway. The third if, verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, 
much more will what is permanent have glory. Here's another distinction that's made. One is a ministry of death. One is a ministry of life. One is a ministry of condemnation. One is a ministry of righteousness. One is being brought to an end. One is forever. And that's the gospel. There's not a third act. It's the gospel. That's what it's about. That's what brings righteousness. That's what brings life. That's what brings hope. That's what is more glorious than the law. Was the law glorious? Yes. You'll never hear me deny that. It's just that the gospel's better. That's the thing. It surpasses the law in glory, Paul says. So verse 12, he he begins, he shifts gears a little bit. He moves out of these if statements and and tells us if I were going to summarize verses 12 through 18 it would be this Jesus undoes what Moses did since we have such a hope we are very bold not like Moses who put a veil and he goes through all of that he puts this veil to to shade the people from the glory of God because if we if we set this in context what we begin to to realize is that this veil was simultaneously a statement of justice and mercy On the one hand, it was a statement of justice because they weren't worthy of the glory of God because they were sinful. On the other hand, it was a statement of mercy because they weren't capable of the glory of God because they were sinful. See, that, that, that's what the, 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 the veil over Moses' face and then the tabernacle and then the temple, remember how it's all set up. Everything is veiled, Right? No one can in. Where did the glory of God dwell in the tabernacle? In the Holy of Holies. Where did it dwell in the temple? In the Holy of Holies. Who could go in there? Only the priest, only the high priest, only once a year, and only to make atoning sacrifices, to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. In other words, the glory of God was veiled by the law from Israel all the way through. Why? For the same reason they couldn't go up on the mountain. If they did, they would die. Because sinners can't stand in the glory of God. We can't bear. And they got that. That's why they were like, hey, Moses, here's a plan. You intercede for us. Because otherwise we're going to die. That they understood what the law did. They understood. They didn't measure up. They understood. They needed protection from the law. But remember what happened. And this is what Paul explains without referencing this verse. Remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross to that veil. It was rent asunder, as Dr. Thomas used to say. It means it was torn up. There was no veil anymore. Nothing was separating them from the glory of God. Why? Because they were safe. They they weren't living with, with with this... definition of of sinner the ministry of righteousness had come they were living with this definition of righteous they were living with this 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 identity of, of dead because the ministry of life had come they were living with this identity of of alive in christ they they weren't living with this temporary, planned, obsolescence relationship 
They were living now with this permanent relationship between them and God. The fulfillment of everything. Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law on their behalf, who died and bore its curse, that they might enter in. As we sing, I don't think we sing it today, but but as we so often sing, so that they might come boldly to the throne of grace. That's, That's what was going on. That's, that's what the story of Jesus is all about. And that's what Paul says. It's all about removing the veil. Their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. That's it. There's a, a, a philosophy of evangelism. And again, this stuff has been so kind of paradigm shattering for me. Because there, 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 there's so much that, that I've kind of bought into because it's like, oh, that sounds good. Um, there, I heard someone say, and I'm not going to say who, um, but they were like, if I had, if I had an hour with, with someone to talk to them about God, I would talk to him for 50 minutes about the law and five minutes about the gospel. And the thought behind this kind of, in my view, asinine approach to evangelism is this. If there is no bad news, then there is no good news. It makes a sort of logical sense. I get it. But then when we start reading the Bible and we start reading how that they preached in the book of Acts, it wasn't like, man, both barrels, law, you're horrible, I'm going to just cut you off at your knees, and oh yeah, Jesus. No. It was God is full of mercy. God is full of grace. Jesus fulfilled everything. It's all grace. Believe in him and have life. And sometimes we get this mentality of like, well, where's the conviction? Guess whose job conviction isn't? Mine and yours. Guess whose job conviction is? The Holy Spirit. And guess who doesn't need me to do their job? the Holy Spirit. And guess what he's called me to do? Talk to you about Jesus. And guess what he's more than capable of when I talk to you about Jesus? Convincing you that you're a sinner that needs this Jesus that I'm talking about. That's what Paul is saying is the ministry of the new covenant. That's what we're to be about. Not standing up here and proclaiming the law and making you feel this big so that you'll come back next week and get a little bit more Jesus. No. No. Through Christ, this veil is taken away. Not through the law. I can expound on the Ten Commandments for the rest of my ministry. And it won't remove a single veil. Or I can tell you about Jesus. And the veil will be lifted. And you'll be able to see the glory of God because of what Christ has done. Yet to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It's only taken away through Christ. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Doesn't say from what. It's what? 
geeks, nerds like me like to call a, a hanging nominative. Freedom from what? We got to figure that out. Here's the options. Some people say, oh, yes, when we look to Jesus and the veil is lifted, we're free, not from something, but we're free to obey the law. So let's talk about the law some more. No. No, that, that's nowhere in this text. What are we free from? The veil that keeps us from seeing the glory of God. We're free from the ministry of death. We're free from the ministry of condemnation. We're free because of what Jesus Christ has done to look directly into the glory of God and not die. Why? Because Jesus already did that. He already died. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And he washed us clean by his blood. What we sang earlier, let us wonder, grace and justice. See, that they're, they're, grace and justice are held together in Jesus Christ. They're not separated. Let us wonder, grace and justice, join and point to mercy store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. Oh, that's good. When I come to God, when you come to God in Jesus Christ, it's no frowning, grumpy, legalistic God that you meet. But it's one that's full of joy for his child has come home. His child who, who his son died for has come home. And he asks Nothing more. That's good news. That's the ministry of the new covenant. That's the gospel. That nothing else is asked of you because of what Jesus did on your behalf. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Spirit, there's freedom. We've already covered that. It's freedom from the law, freedom from the ministry of death, freedom from the ministry of condemnation, freedom to be alive. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What's going to happen? Are we going to die or something else better going to happen? Oh, are being transformed, not killed. Not killed. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He, he's just wrapping up all of this new covenant stuff from the Old Testament saying it's all found, it's all fulfilled, it's all fixed in Jesus Christ. The veil is removed. Now here's where we have to be careful. Because man, we love the law. We love it. And and. We'll say, okay, so what we're not going to do then is like show up and, and talk about the Ten Commandments and be like, this is how you be right with God. We, okay, we're going to be reformed enough to not do that. But sometimes what we do is instead we just come up with a new law. And we say, well, no, we're not being legalists because we're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about something else. And we come up with, with new things that you have to be. 
And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we, we fall in the trap of thinking like, yeah, okay, that's what conservative churches do. They come up with rules and liberal churches, like they're just like all grace and have no rules. No, that's not what happens either. We just come up with different rules, different new laws. That's what happens. And, and what we're going to see in just saying, this isn't even a distinction between the church and the world. It's not like, oh, the church, they, they're just like, tell you what to do. I mean, sometimes churches mess up and do that. They just tell you what to do. But, but, but the, the world, they give you freedom to be who you are and express No, that's also not true. We just come up with different laws. We just come up with different rules. And so we've got to be very careful in ministry. We've got to be, we've got to be very intentional that what we're offering, what we're giving people, what I stand here in this pulpit and give you is Jesus, the Spirit, the new covenant, not the old covenant, whether it's a form defined by the actual old covenant or in a form defined by my own proclivities in this world. Both of those are ministries of death. Both of those are ministries of condemnation. But when I give you Jesus, I'm holding out life for you. Not because of anything I'm doing but because of who he is and because you get him because you can have him for free verse or chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 he kind of comes back to the beginning and, and, and sums up his ministry reminding us like, so because it's a ministry of mercy ministry by the mercy of God we don't lose heart we we reject disgraceful underhanded ways we don't refuse or, or, or to, to tamper with God's word. In other words, we don't make it about ourselves. We're not doing this to, to like gain some status. That's, that's not what's happening. We, we reject all of that. And by the way, he then says, he brings this veiled idea back. If our gospel is veiled, it's because the God of this world, the God of this age has blinded you. See, here's what we forget. Anything that's not gospel, anything that's not new covenant, anything that's not the proclamation of the finished work of Christ on your behalf is a ministry of death. It doesn't matter if it's coming from the church or if it's coming from the world. Anything that is not the proclamation of life in Jesus Christ, anything that is saying, here's how you be a Christian and, and, and how you be a Christian isn't look to the Lord, look to Jesus. It's all a ministry of death. And it all leaves you veiled to the glory of God. Every bit of it. The only thing that removes the veil is Jesus. That's it. The God of this world has blinded them, blinded the minds of unbelievers. So, so he's wanting us to see this isn't just a Jewish problem. This is an everyone problem to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says again, for what we proclaim, we don't talk about us, we talk about him. Why? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember, this is Athanasius' point, that the God who can speak light out of darkness can also speak life. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Not the law, but Jesus. It's not that the law wasn't glorious. 
It's not that the law didn't reveal a glorious God. It's that if you really want to see who this glorious God is in all his glory, you go to Jesus and you get life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the boldness of Paul's explanation of these differences between law and the purpose for which it came and Jesus and the purpose for which he came. And Father, we recognize our propensity to, to run again and again to the law. To, 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 to pull up our performance over us like some kind of warm blanket that we find comfort in because we can say, see, I did this. Father, we, we admit that we quickly do that rather than just pointing to Jesus. Because we desperately want to commend ourselves to you. Forgive us for this sin. And fix our eyes once again by your spirit on Jesus who gives life. That we might rest, truly rest, and live in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.